Father, we just thank you so much, specifically for the book of Ephesians. God, um, the inspiration of your word carries so much power, carries so much beauty, carries so much strength. And uh, God, we want to recognize that this morning as we open it. We want to know exactly uh, what you want us to know. We want to know your heart, your will, your mind. Uh, God, we want to know everything about you. And God, we know that your word is a source to find it out. I just pray, God, as a result of opening it up, that we would be challenged this morning uh, to walk with you and to walk closer to you. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Looking at an entire uh, year of going through the book of Ephesians. Last week, I kind of confessed it might be a little bit over a year, but don't worry, it's broken up into four series. You know, I keep on saying that to say it's going to be short, but there's so much in the book of Ephesians. We're halfway through the book, so we're on chapter Um, We're on chapter 4, so we've completed chapter 3, and there's six chapters. So starting on chapter 4, we started an entire new series, The Believer's Behavior. Last week, we um, saw Paul's mission in the sense a believer should walk worthy of the calling which we have been called, and how do we do that? We do that with humility, we do it with gentleness, we do it with kindness, and we do it so the body, the church body, uh, will have unity. So Paul has launched into the behavior or the believer's behavior, and he's instantly structured and put together the body of Christ, which is the church. And then today we're going to talk about believers should walk by using their spiritual gifts. So let's just look at the passage, read it, break it down, and go through it. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 says this, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature man to measure of a stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemings, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the power working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. I just want to break this passage up into three different categories, and you'll see that in your notes. Every believer's, every believer um, has a gift. Every believer should be set on fire by the gifted, and then every believer should grow by the gifted. So every believer is gifted. Number one, believers, uh, the believer is to walk by using their spiritual gift. Every single one of us has been granted a spiritual gift, and we are supposed to use it. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a gift that God gives for you for the purpose of continuing his ministry after his ascension. Christ did an amazing work at the cross, and we are saved as a result. He left heaven. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross, and he died for my sins, and he died for your sins. 
and then he went into the grave. Three days later, he rose again. And then he, after he rose again, he was on the earth for 40 days, seen by men as somebody who was alive after he rose again. And then what did he do? He ascended into heaven. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel that drives the word, that drives the church, and should drive us. Why? Because it has been granted to us. The glory of God and the salvation of God has been granted to us, and we are saved as a result. But it's not the only thing that has been given to us. Every single one of us, nobody's left out who's accepted Christ, every single one of us has a gift that's also been granted to us. Every one of us. Yeah, I'll give you the gift of salvation, but I'm also going to give you a gift. And that gift is for the purpose of taking my message that saved you and sending it to the entire world. Sending it to the entire world. In other words, I died, I rose, I ascended, but my message will be carried, and it will be carried by my body, which is the church, with my spirit, after giving you a gift to change the world for my glory. That's what God has granted to us. In fact, in John chapter 14, it says that we will even do greater works than Jesus. How can we do greater works than Jesus? Well, the object of giving us a gift. That's how we're going to do greater works than Jesus. It's like, no, there's no way we can do greater works than Jesus. What does that mean? Uh, What it means when we say in John 14 that we'll do greater works than Jesus is that Jesus is one place at one time. And I will tell you that he is the most gifted, perfect child of God. And what he does is he proportions these gifts out to everybody so he does not have to be at one place at one time. His message spreads all across the world by the gifts that he has given us through his body. People see Jesus as a result of a gift that is alive in us for the purpose of them seeing Christ. That's why the gift has been given to us. So in the Bible you see gifts that are out there, and there's three different locations as they have mentioned these spiritual gifts. Um, And I just want to read these gifts because every one of them have all of them. I just want you to know that this is not an exhaustive list, meaning that there's more gifts that are beyond um, this list. The consistency of the gifts that were given, you know, explains to us that that it's not an exhaustive list. It's just a list that sets us um, uh, to thinking that direction that we've all been given a gift. Preachers, administrators, discernment, gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, teaching, speaking in tongues, wisdom are gifts that God has handed out with his spirit. Ephesians 4, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the very lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also. He who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. You read that and say, well, that's a confusing verse. <laughs> that verse kind of travels a whole bunch of different areas. And, and this is a foundation of where and how we receive our gifts and the understanding of the gifts. And it's like, well, what does it say? Because it got really, really confusing here. I just want to break this, this passage up into a couple different words to look at. First word I want you to see is grace. This is not saving grace. 
the entire chapters 1, chapters 2, and chapter 3 just unfold this beauty of saving grace. Well, then in chapters 4, he unfolds this beauty of the church, and then he says the words, but, a huge but, a strong but. And the reason why you have all this saving grace, but, and then he mentions grace again, but he mentions it in the other aspect of it, which is grace is a strength. Grace is a power. Grace is an ability. Yes, you've been saved by this saving grace that you do not deserve and should not have, but grace is also something that is going to carry you through, drive you, send you, move you. Christ's strength and power and ability was given, and he is dividing up his power and his strength and his ability to all the people in the church. He ascended, but he divided up his power, strength, and ability to all the people that are in the church. The other word I want, or phrase I want you to look at is, therefore it says. What do you mean by therefore it says? Well, all the way through Scripture, you have the New Testament that's consistently quoting the Old Testament. Maybe that's why this is, verse is so confusing. You have the, Old, uh, the New Testament quoting the Old Testament. Jesus does it all the time. And in every book, you get um, statements from the Old Testament that is written inside the New Testament. Therefore it says means I am quoting directly from the Old Testament. And what is he doing? If you look at the passage, you see everything that is bold and um, everything that's in caps. I didn't do that. I just cut it out of my Bible. Uh, whenever you see these caps, it's saying this is an Old Testament statement. And this statement in particular is from Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, what's it about? The passage is about a conquering king. In fact, if you look at the verbiage, a lot of the verbiage that it talks about, just read a couple verses, let God arise let his enemies be scattered and let those who hate him flee before him. A smoke driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so he, the wicked, will perish before God. He leads out the prisoners and into prosperity. When you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. Surely God will shatter the heads of his enemies. It's all about war. It's all about a king who conquered an army. That's what Psalms 88 talks about, consistently about war. Why did he, Paul, quote Psalm 68? And I encourage you to go back there and read it sometime this week. But why did he quote Psalms 68? He's given us a picture of what happens after a king conquers. After a king conquers, all of his soldiers bring him the spoil of the land. In other words, after you've taken over a king, all the spoils, all the wealth, all the riches come down to the king, and everybody hands over the king all the wealth. And as they're handing over the king all the wealth, what is there? What is there? We can get gold, you can get food, you can get weapons, you can get all these things that are going to be handed then to the king because he conquered the land. Well, what if you get 22,000 swords? It's just a number I picked up. You have 22,000 swords. They just conquered the land. It's like, king, we just conquered the land. Here's your gift, 22,000 swords. What good is 22,000 swords going to do a king? <laughs> it's not going to do him any good. The reason why is because he can't even lift up 22,000 swords. You only need one, but now the king has 22,000 swords. The 22,000 swords does him no good until he takes an individual sword and gives it to 22,000 people. And when he gives an individual sword to 22,000 of his people, now all of a sudden his people can then what? Give back to him. And his wealth just completely and entirely increased. You see what's taking place is that it's talking about a conquering king that I have conquered. 
and all comes my way, and as all comes my way, then I distribute it across the land. Then I distribute it across the land. Psalm 68 says this, you have ascended on high, you have led captive, your captives, you have received gifts among men, meaning that all the gifts were given to God because of what God has done. But then what does he do with them? Distributes them. Psalm 68 at the end. You are, an- you are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. You have given me all the gifts, but now what am I going to do with the gifts? I'm going to give power and strength to my people. And this is why Paul has taken it from Psalm 68 and has put it right there in the book of Ephesians and says the words, therefore it says, when he, God, ascended on high, he led captives, captive, a host of captives, and then he gave gift to men. So you can read the story in Psalm 68 and go, this is what God is doing. But then Paul explains it further, which is not the Old Testament, It's the New Testament of Paul's writing, and watch as he explains it further. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who has descended himself, also he who has ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Ascended, what does ascended mean? In English, their first response is, well, it means to go up. It doesn't always mean to go up. It means to come into rule, to have power over another. Ascend to the throne. In other words, I have gone to the throne. I now have rule from the throne. That's another word for ascended. Look at this passage. He ascended, what? To the lower parts of the earth, and he ascended to the higher parts of the earth. God is saying, I own it all. Death has been conquered. The grave has been wiped away. Salvation is yours, and everything a part of this world is mine. And therefore, since I have conquered the death, burial, resurrection, where people can be saved, I will take all the gifts that it gives, and then I'll hand it more to my people. I'll hand it out to my people. The essence of Christianity is not what you can do for God, but it's what God has already done for you. People think, well, the essence of Christianity is, okay, I'm a Christian, now what do I can do for God? Well, this is what God has done for you. He saved you, and then he has put something inside of you. Sounds like he's doing all the work, right? He is doing all the work. He saves you, and then he puts a gift inside of you. And as he's put this gift inside of you, the only thing you need to do is ask the question, do I use it? (laughs) Have I set it on fire? You know, when we look at Christianity, you know, we often think, well, Christianity, the essence of Christianity is, is to look at Jesus as a model and then obey that model and, and, and follow that model. Well, I don't know about you, but when you look at Jesus as a model, um, don't you feel like completely defeated? If you don't, you're ignorant. <laughs> Why? Because he's absolutely, he's absolutely perfect. He is absolutely perfect. So if if we are going to be serious about Christianity, we think, okay, Jesus is a model, and I'm going to follow this model, and I'm going to be really good at following this model. We um, have missed the entire essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is I have given you something at salvation, and I've given you a gift, and then be faithful with pulling that up to change the world. And yeah, we do look at God as a model. But when we fail, we just confess our sins, and then we keep on moving, and we keep on going. We've been given salvation, 
and we have been given a gift. Do we use it? Everyone has it, according to that passage. Everyone has it. Every believer should be using it. Why don't we use it? Let's move into the next category. Every believer should be set on fire by the gifted. The reason why we don't use it, because we don't get set on fire by the gifted. Remember what God wants to do? He wants to take his message and he wants it to travel through time. He does want it to travel to the ends of the earth, but he also wants it to travel through time. And his message has been traveling for what? The gospel message has been traveling for what? 2,021 years. It's going. It's moving. And it's traveling through the body. So if we have a gift, how is that gift set on fire? It's set on fire by the gifted. We are completely different. Male, female is completely different. You and I are completely different. We all have different characters. We all have different personalities. That's the way God created it because that's the way he wanted to do it because it carries power. Often we don't think it carries power because it can often create conflict. But if you get through it and you work with it, you'll begin to love it and you'll be able to move in power. My wife and I were two different people, just to give you an example. Um, uh, two completely entirely different people. When we first got married, it's like, how are we ever going to make it? <laughs> you know, we're completely two different people that function in two different way. And, and, you know, the first year, second year, oh my goodness. You know, in 25 years, you know, we're, we're celebrating it now. But being two different personalities, um, you do have to climb through, um, you know, uh, through some hoops, we'll put it that way. You know, my wife, you know, we just call her the brains of the outfit. She's gifted in that way. You know, I'm not necessarily gifted to being the brains in the outfit. I would say um, I'm more gifted to be a little bit more reckless. <laughs> you might say, well, that's not a very good spiritual gift. You know, I would argue with you and say, yeah, it is a good spiritual gift because we can get a lot of done and go a lot of places. Last week I talked about climbing South Sister. I climbed South Sister twice. I climbed it with my brother, and if you were here last week, I carried a dog to the top, and then I carried a dog all the way to the bottom. Well, that was a, a story that, you know, was like, oh, yeah, it was a lot of work, and that was interesting. Well, the next time I wanted a more pleasant trip, so what did I do? I asked my wife to go. You know, I did that in 24 hours, and I asked my wife. That means you rent a motel and sisters, and you wake up a little later than you do with my brother, and, and you get on the trail about 10 o'clock, and then you hike up to the top, and, and it was a great time, awesome time. But before we were getting to the top, we noticed a helicopter that was circling around the top. And as that helicopter circled around the top, it, was, it would circle and then it would disappear. And then it would come and then it would circle again and then, and then it would disappear. And I'm like, I wonder what's going on up there. And uh, so we just kept on walking. We didn't know what was taking place. And, and as we kept on walking, the helicopter appeared to have landed on the top of the summit. And I'm like, what is a helicopter that's on top of the summit? We just kept on walking. And, and sure enough, we walked up um, on people that were EMTs with a guy who was in a gurney that was just bleeding all, all over the place. And when we walked up um, upon them, uh, one of the guys says, we saw you in the distance, and, and we need you to help us carry this guy to the top. It's like, oh, you've been watching me in the distance. Oh, thanks for waiting and being patient for me to get here. And I said, okay, no problem, because there's only three people that were working on this guy. So I grabbed one side of the gurney, and, and the other three grabbed the other side, and we carried this guy to the top. It wasn't, it wasn't very uh, far. It was about 100, 150 feet. And we got him to the top, and then we put him into the helicopter, and my wife stayed down where that accident had happened. After we put him in the helicopter, the helicopter left, and then I walked down to my wife, and I said, well, that was um, all done, so are you ready to go? She goes, yep, I'm ready to go down. <laughs> I said, wait, 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 we have been going 
all day, all day, and you are 100 to 150 feet away from the top, you don't stop here and go down. No, no. You climb to the top, and then you say you made it to the top of the mountain. That's just what human beings do. I mean, you don't try to summit, and then 500 feet away, you go to the top. And she says, well, I'm not going to the top. I said, honey, you don't understand. For the rest of your life, you're going to say, I climb Mount Sister, but you'd be lying because you didn't go the last 100 feet, and the 100 feet is not very far. I will hold your hand just to take you to the top so we can summit together. She says, I am not moving another step. She said, anybody in my feet and anybody in my situations uh, would not have enough common sense to take a step up this mountain. They would all go down. And I looked at her and I says, honey, we don't need common sense. (laughs) We need to get to the top of the mountain. And she gave me this look that was, Mike, you're not going to convince me. So sure enough, we walked down from there on out. And you know the worst part of that story is that she's still okay with it. <laughs> I mean, she, she's, she's all right. That doesn't make a big deal. I was 100 foot from the top. That's not the big deal. It's like, you can't say that you haven't summited to the top of the mountain. I think she's the only one on planet Earth that is only 100 feet from the, uh, for the sisters to do it. We just have a different perspective, and we look at things different. All of us have different perspectives. All of us function different. All of us look at things different. But the difference is to do nothing but to ignite us, is to do nothing but to set us on fire, is to do nothing but send us a powerful direction that meets all of Christ's gifts that he carried on earth. You know, I'd like to say that my gift is a gift of preaching. I mean, I am up here. You know, hopefully I'm, I'm utilizing. But, but am I excited about preaching? And if I'm excited about preaching, why am I excited about preaching? There's people in our church that have the gift of mercy. There's people in our church that have the gift of encouragement. There's people in our church that have the gift of discernment. There's people in this church that have a gift of wisdom. And I'll walk in the door, and do you know what I get? I get encouragement. I get excitement from you. You guys utilizing your gifts set me on fire to utilize my gifts. And if you guys would refuse to use any of your gifts whatsoever, who would I be preaching to for the first place? Or why or how would I be preaching as a result of your lack of motivation or your motivation on using your gifts? See, all your gifts out here set me on fire to use my gifts up here, and prayerfully my gifts up here set you on fire to use your gifts down here because that's how the body is supposed to function. We feed off of each other's gifts. Ephesians 4, 7 is going to mention five different gifts that we want to look at. But look and see what these gifts do, because they're designed to do something. And it's not only these specifically five gifts that are designed to do something, it's all of our gifts are designed to do something. Let's read it. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints and the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. These gifts do what? They equip the saints 
for what? The work of service, and they build up the body of Christ so that we will attain unity within our body and the knowledge of the Son of God. See what happens when a gift comes alive, other people's gifts come alive. It's called synergy. It's called the design of the church. That God did not create us to be isolated individuals, but he created us to work as one and feed off of each other as one, and then he calls it what? His body. And in the first Corinthians, he says, you know, the foot is a part of the body. The hand is a part of the body. In fact, the body cannot function unless everybody is functioning in a way that the body should function. You know, pastor is supposed to be visionary, and I would like to consider myself as visionary. But if you are visionary, which I would say that that, you know, is kind of where I am, the reason why I say that is because I'm not a detailed person and I am not an administrator. In fact, I am way out over here, and I leave all these details behind, and I just look at the big picture, and then we have administrators that are in our body. And what do they do? They clean up my mess. <laughs> Period. That's, that's all they do. They just clean up my mess. And they say, Mike, and they try to cradle me in and say, no, 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 you, you're not seeing all this. You can do this. Well, now, I'll put this together. If we did not have them, we would not have a church. Why? Because we'd just be a bull in a china closet just tearing everything down. I mean, if I was the only one leader, but everybody utilizes their gift, and when they do, it comes out in a healthy way, a healthy manner, healthy and powerful manner, as long as we're all using our gifts. Remember, every single one of us have them. Let's look at these gifts that are mentioned and how they set us on fire. Number two, our gift. Gifts are ignited by gifted apostles. Apostles is the first gift that is mentioned. I want to talk a little bit about what an apostle is. An apostle was someone who had seen the risen Lord. Not the way that we have seen it, but someone who literally has seen it. Because how did the New Testament take off and run so far and so fast? And why was it the greatest revival in the world? Jesus died, and we saw him. <laughs> they didn't need to say much more. Because if Jesus died, and we saw him, then he's God. Then he's everything that he says he is powerful, powerful, powerful message spoken by who? The select number of people were apostles that were back then. They were not reproduced. They were back then to take the message of what they saw and not adulterate it at all and say, this is what we heard. This is what we saw. Put it on paper. And they were chosen specifically by Christ as he prayed all night to choose his disciples who were then apostles And then we also see Paul who's saying that I am the last apostle because I saw Christ. And these apostles came with power because of what they witnessed, what they heard and what they witnessed. Acts one twenty one says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Judas died in the replacing apostle, and this is the requirements of an apostle. He has to be one who went among us and with us, and we need to choose that one. Beginning from John the Baptist to the time when Jesus was taken up for us. For one of these must become a witness with us in the resurrection. These people witnessed it, and then they made this statement by what they saw. And boy, did it carry power. Boy, did it carry power. Paul was an extremely humble person. But he just said what he saw. 
And when he said he saw, he said something like this in First Thessalonians. He, he said, this is the way it is, and if you don't believe it, cast them out. Paul's a humble guy. But he's speaking with that much authority. This is the way it is, and if you disagree with me, you, you, you can leave. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. I'm not an apostle. But this is the power that an apostle had. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, you see that prophets would come up, and I'll explain prophets in a second, but prophets would come up and they would speak. They were traveling messengers to different areas, and they would speak. And then Paul's comment about those prophets who speak is every time a prophet speaks, judge those prophets by my words. <laughs> Boy, come on, Paul, you're awfully arrogant. But he had the mark of apostleship. And the apostleship was somebody who had a mark that was moving in a way, and when he wrote letters, it was inspired by God and then, what, handed to us. An apostle had to seen the risen Lord or being associated with somebody who has seen the risen Lord, and then they would write letters, and they would write things down of what they saw and what has taken place of what they saw, and then what do we have today? We have the Word of God. John said these words, he said, do not add to this book or do not subtract this book. That's a statement of authority, aggressive statement of authority, written by what? A man who was an apostle, being inspired by God. And right now what? We have the book, Apostolic Ministry. And the Apostolic Ministry is the New Testament. And if you have a gift and you want to set it on fire, this is the way you do it. Open up the Bible to the gifted apostles. And when you open up the Bible to the gifted apostles, what's going to take place? That gift that God has planted you inside will be ignited, and that is the source that's going to be ignited. Their gifts that they have given is a gift to set us on fire. Are we in the Word? Are we reading the Word? Are we memorizing the Word? Are we underneath the preaching of the Word? Is the Word something that we want to go after, drive after, understand, read, memorize, touch, study? When it is, what's going to happen? is your gift is going to come alive. It must be set on fire, and the word, the apostolic ministry of the word, is what set it on fire. The apostles use their gifts, and we find our gifts as a result of them using their gifts. That's what this passage is communicating. Number three, our gifts are ignited by gifted prophets. Here's a definition of prophets. Um, prophets speaking under the inspiration um, of the Spirit. Um, this is a gift that um, has been abused um, by many. Um, and if you wonder, if, is a gift abused or is a gift not abused? Um, often when you hear somebody say, um, I have received something from the Lord that I need to give to you. What they're doing is they want to turn your light on. That's, that's how prophecy works. Prophecy turns your light on. If somebody says, I, I want to say I've received from the Lord, I'm going to give it to you. They're, they're trying to turn your light on before your light is turned on. And prophecy, what it is, is when your light just turns on. When something is said, something is spoken, and all of a sudden it just has an impact, a moving impact. What that is, is that's prophecy. I believe it's happening in the foyer consistently. I believe it's happening right here consistently. I believe when we open up the Word of God, it's happening consistently. That as we are speaking to each other, walking with each other, encouraging each other, and saying the Word of God, lights just come on. It's a gift of prophecy. We see that in, even in the Old Testament. We see David commit a sin with Bathsheba. 
committed adultery with Bathsheba, then he killed her husband. And after he killed her husband, he was still okay. There's nothing wrong with him. It was no big deal. He's a king. He can do whatever he wants to do. But Nathan came up to him, told him a story. What was the story? He says, there's somebody in your kingdom that has a little lamb, loves the little lamb, knows it by name, pets the little lamb, loves the little lamb, takes care of the little lamb. And there's another person in your kingdom that is rich, and he's got tons and tons of lambs. He's got tons of animals. Well, the rich guy wanted to have a feast because uh, he was having guests come over. So what did he do? He didn't go after his lambs. He went after that poor guy's little lamb, and he killed that lamb and killed the person and took the lamb and served it to his guests for a gift. And boy, was David mad when he heard that. He said, not under my kingship. That's not going to happen. You go find that guy, and we are going to definitely bring him to justice. Go get him. And what did Nathan say? David, you're the man. And then all of a sudden... (laughs) The light turned on for David. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And he was a shattered person. That's prophecy. That's prophecy when the light is turned on. When somebody spoke something, the light is turned on and you can't get it out of your head. It impacted your heart. You can't get it out of your life. That's the power of prophecy. First Corinthians says this, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. But everyone who does prophecy, prophesies, speaks to them with strengthening them, encouraging them, and comforting them, happens, happens consistently. It's a gift of prophecy. Number four, our gifts are ignited by gifts of evangelists. Evangelist is somebody proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Somebody who says, I'm going to make my life about it, I'm going to make my conversation about it, and I will travel the world with it. When you watch those people, when I see those people that have the gift of evangelism, it lights me up. In fact, I think, oh my, 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 I need to do more. You know, I see it and it lights me up. Sets my gift on fire. Second Timothy 4, 5. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. It's another gift that lights people up. There's nothing better in this world than giving the gospel and having somebody accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Lights all of us up. All of us get lighted up. The, the angels celebrate, and we get lighted up, and it unfolds our gifts. Number five, our gifts are ignited by gifted pastors. Pastor in the New Testament and Old Testament is considered a shepherd. So whenever you see a shepherd mentioned in the Bible, it's describing a pastor. What does a sh- uh, shepherd do? A shepherd feeds his sheep, guides his sheep, seeks and saves the sheep who are lost, protects the sheep, restores the sheep who go astray, rewards the sheep, keep the sheep separate from the goats. That's what a pastor does. Isaiah 40, 11 says this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are young. Many people are gifted in that area. And when the New Testament refers to pastors, they were per- people who don't travel around to do ministry. They're people who stay place and do ministry to God's flock, to the sheep. Number six, our gifts are ignited by gifted teachers. What is a teacher? A teacher is taking the word of God and saying, thus saith the Lord, this is what the Bible says. Powerful, 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 powerful deal and um, um, statement to be able to change a life. Powerful statement to to literally light a gift up. In fact, teaching is a gift that lights people up more than any other gift 
that is even out there. And you might be thinking, oh yeah, you're, you're teaching us right now. That's why you say it's the most powerful gift. Well, I've been changed as a result of teacher. I've been touched as a result of teacher. In fact, you would ask me the question, why are you a teacher? The re- only reason I'd say I am a teacher is because I love teachers. And I've taken gifted teachers and I've fed my mind with gifted teachers because I love them so much. In fact, uh, before I uh, was uh, studying this sermon, I, I, I like to read, and this might sound really boring, but um, one thing I like to read is I like to read sermons <laughs> from people who are dead. <laughs> put it that way. Charles Spurgeon. You know, if it, if it, if it lasted, you know, 150 years, he's got to say something in there. So what does he say? Jonathan Edwards, all the Puritans. I just bring them up. I just love to read sermon after sermon. And as I'm looking through all the volumes of that I have read, the uh, last 12, 13 years, I've read about 4,600 sermons, and that's just a rough um, issue, you know, a rough, you know, a rough statement of how many sermons I read. 4,600 sermons, break that up, that'd be 383 a year, 31.9 a month, that'd be one a day for the last 13 years. You know, I love teachers, and loving teachers are going to do what? They're going to set your gift on fire. They're going to set your gift on fire, and I just thank God for those who had the gift of teaching that went before me to provide me with a teaching that has taken place from Charles Spurgeon, George Campbell Morgan, I can go all the way from Jonathan Edwards, I can go to, the, to D. Duke, I can go all the way to these people that taught and feed off of them, and as a result, my gift cannot stay at the bottom. It goes to the top. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I would love this verse even more than even the shepherd verse. Therefore, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching, baptizing and teaching. You know, we had some baptisms last month, and, uh, and I was not supposed to do the baptisms. Um, Brandon, our pastor Brandon, he did all the classes in regards to the baptisms, and, and I'm just like, okay, you can do them. That's not a problem. And then he called me and says, you know what? I have to be in the worship band, and I don't know who to baptize these people. And I'm like, <laughs> raise my hand. Oh, 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 I'm your boss. Let me. You know, that's what I, you know, I wanted to say. And then all of a sudden, you get excited baptizing people, teaching people. These are a verse that just will set you on fire. Why? Because it lights our gifts on fire. And then when you take a 12-year-old and you take a 30-year-old and you put them underneath water and somebody says, I want to make my life changed and I want to proclaim the world of what changed it, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's what's going to light us on fire. That's what's going to make our gifts come alive. Every believer is gifted. Every believer should be set on fire by the gifted. And the last one, every believer should grow by the gifted. Just to finish the passage, when gifted people utilize their gifts we, the church, become strong. I went to um, Alaska before I was married, out of Dutch Harbor, and uh, my father um, lived at um, sea, practically. He was a chief engineer on a, on a tugboat, Sauce Brothers, out of Coos Bay. And so he spent a third of his life out at sea, and I went to sea for two months, and I will never go back again. In fact, I think God 
put me there just to um, grow a, a love and respect for what my dad did um, for me. But I don't know if you've ever been on the sea, nothing is still. It moves exactly where the waves go. It does not move where you specifically want it. And the best time I ever had in my life is literally when I put my foot on ground after I walked off that ship because it was so bad when you're on the ship. We live in a world that goes back and forth in this direction and that direction, and we don't even know what the right answer is anymore. But when gifted people utilize their gift, we find an anchor in this world that is strong, that is powerful, that is healthy, and that is good. The passage gives us this. As a result, as a result of the apostles, the teachers, the prophets, the evangelists, as a result of all these people using their gifts, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. When our gift comes alive, the world comes alive because that is the anchor to everybody's soul. Letter eight, when gifted Christians utilize their gifts, we, the church, grow in him. My wife and I have been married for 25 years and and, uh, we raised two kids and and one of our children is um, in college down in San Diego and then the other is a junior um, in high school. So we went at it as a mission. We are going to raise our children and we're going to conquer it. <laughs> and, uh, and so as we raised our children, we had uh, a, a purpose, a vision, and a product that we wanted. <laughs> Just, I mean, that sounds really bad, but that's what we did. Um, in the process of doing it, we received so much more than we set out to do. What did we receive? Her and I grew closer together. We're closer, more closer now than we've ever been if we did not raise children. Climbing those mountains, those valleys, and going through the canyons, the raising children grew us closer. We grew wiser together. My wife and I grew more empathetic. My wife and I grew more wisdom. We grew more of a love for God. We grew more in love for each other. There's a process of what happened while we were raising our children that we received that we didn't ask to receive. We just ended up receiving it because we chose to do it. Spiritual gifts are the same way. When you use your gift, you get surprises and blessings that you don't ask for. Here's a surprise blessing. You get to know God more. You love God more. You pray more. You give more. You need God more. All of a sudden, your spiritual life comes alive as a process of using your gift. And this is consistent all the way through Scripture, that if you don't do what has been put inside of you, then everything else is just absolutely dead. John Calvin was somebody who loved to study the Word of God. He would just sit in a room and read and study and format everything. He just thrived off of that. And as he was studying, it just came true to him that after he was studying, that if I don't preach, in other words, if I don't use my gift, then all my studying will just go flat and stale and dry, and I won't be able to understand anymore. I need to use my gift so what I love will be set alive. And that's what he did. Ephesians 4, 7, 15 says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of him. Then number nine, when gifted people utilize their gifts, we, the church, grow in love. We are a church that is an I love you church, and I, I feel it. <laughs> I feel it. You might not feel it. I feel it, that we love each other. Why do we love each other? You know why we love each other? 
you know, paint a school a couple weeks. When we go paint a school, what are we trying to do? We're trying to complete something. And as we are literally completing something and we conquer something, what's happening? Our love for the kids will grow. (laughs) It just happens when you do it. Our love for the community will grow. Our love for each other will grow because we work shoulder to shoulder. Our love for God will grow. Yeah, painting the school is like, what do you do? No, all you're going to do is go accomplish something. But us using this body of Christ, using our spiritual gifts, and accomplishing something big grows us, builds us, makes us. Ephesians 4, the last verse, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When we're all functioning, working, and walking together, we are building ourselves up in love. We are the body of Christ. We all have a gift. We must use the gift so the church, the body, will be set on fire, but also so us, as individuals, will be set on fire as well. So the question would be, what is your gift, and are you using it? If you don't know what it is, you've got one. Let's go look for it, find it, and then, of course, use it. We're going to do communion, and I noticed that I preached specifically long (laughs) this morning. Sorry about that. But we're going to um, take your time, come up here, and uh, uh, the elements are in the front, the elements are in the back. Just encourage you to take your time, come up here as an individual or as a family, and just let you know that the, the cups have the bread at the bottom. There's two cups. The bread's at the bottom, the juice is on the top. As you're coming up to take communion, remember me as the instructions that we received um, from Jesus when he broke his bread before his disciples. And this is the time to remember him. Remember what he gave you at salvation. And remember he gave you something else too a gift. God, we just thank you that we can even approach the table and, uh, and meet with you. We know, God, that your death, burial, and resurrection, God, is a, a tore the temple veil in half so we can go into the Holy of Holies and be a friend with our God. Thank you, God, so much for that gift. And as we come together as a church right now and meet with you at the table, I just pray, God, that you would speak to us in a powerful way We don't know what our gifts are, God. I just pray that we'll find out right here, right now, here at the table. And God, if we come and and we think of, I'm not using my gifts strong enough, I just pray, God, that conviction would take place and, God, commitments would be made. We pray for your spirit, God, right now to work very powerfully as we worship. In Christ's name, amen.